The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Monday hiatus edition of PFT Live and PFTPM all jammed into one. Plenty of stuff to get to, plenty of news from over the weekend. I want to start with something that didn't get nearly as much play as it would have gotten if it had happened on a weekday. And maybe there's a reason for that. Nick Chubb, Brown's running back, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Some would say the very best running back in the NFL, entering the final year of his contract. And an interesting question as to whether the analytics-obsessed Browns would pay a lot of money to a running back. Because the way the Browns do things, nameless, faceless players, what can we do by way of replacing a guy at a lower cost than what we would pay to keep him? A middle ground was struck between Chubb and presumably what he wanted and the Browns and presumably what they wanted to pay. A three-year extension, not four, not five, a three-year extension, shorter the better, $12.2 million per year, $36.6 million in all, on top of what he was due to make this year. So it's a four-year deal. He was making a relatively low amount this year because of his draft status, but he gets his financial reward now, which is important going into the contract year for a running back. You don't want to roll the dice. You don't want to take the chance of a serious injury or just ineffectiveness that makes you not attractive after the season. And the other reality here from Chubb's perspective, because people are going to look at this and say, he could have gotten more. He should have gotten more. The problem is this. Running backs typically only get big money from the team that they already have played for. The one exception, Le'Veon Bell, and that was a mistake by the New York Jets to give him $27 million fully guaranteed over two years, $13.5 million. When you look at what some of these other running backs have gotten, like the Alvin Kamara deal, there's some fluff in there. Derrick Henry's deal is good, not great. But again, who would have paid him gigantic money if he was an unrestricted free agent? And last year, the investments we saw in most of the running backs, except really for Christian McCaffrey, who was injured much of the year, if not most of the year, they all paid off. Dalvin Cook had a big year. Derrick Henry had a big year. Kamara had a big year. Joe Mixon had injuries as well. He's another one that got a big contract. But I think this is a smart win-win. I'm still surprised the Browns made the investment that they did because they could have pivoted to Kareem Hunt. They could have drafted someone. They could have had faith in the fact that we've got a great quarterback. We've got great receivers. We've got a, a better offensive line than we've had. We can find a guy round three, round four, round five, round wherever to come in at a cheaper rate and be our bell cow running back going into the future. There's a political reality to it as well, though, that relates to your fan base. It's difficult to rip out of the roster, a guy that so many people in the fan base love, and they love Nick Chubb. That's the problem with having one main running back and one of the reasons for the Browns to have two between Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. If you have that one guy, he really does have you in a position of weakness when it's time to figure out how much to pay him because the fan base wants him. And plenty of these running back second contracts end up being regretted by the teams. The good news for Chubb, Number one, it's good money. Number two, it's a short extension. So after four years, 
if he's still playing at a high level, he becomes a free agent unless they do another deal to keep him in Cleveland. So win-win. And I think Chubb got more than what the Browns would have been inclined to pay if they were doing a strict analytics-based assessment of their running back situation. The Colts presumably would like a do-over if they could get one. They can't, as it relates to quarterback Carson Wentz. Wentz with a foot injury that is sidelining him indefinitely. Surgery, a possibility. They're trying to fix the foot issue through rest and rehab for now. I don't like the fact that the moment Wentz was injured, the narrative erupted that Wentz is injury prone. He had two years in Philly without injury. The concussion that he suffered in the playoff game in 2019, he got speared by Jadavion Clowney. That play should have been flagged. He should have been fined, arguably should have been ejected from the game. That knocked Wentz out to cap a season where he stayed healthy all year. And as everyone around him was dropping like proverbial flies, he carried the team from five and seven to nine and seven, got to the playoffs and made that early exit. Otherwise, the Eagles could have made some noise in the postseason. So he's had injuries. He's a physical type of a quarterback. I don't like that for any quarterback because the more hits you take, the greater the chance you're going to get injured. Now, this is just a fluke preseason training camp thing. Quarterbacks don't get injured or don't, they do get injured. They don't get hit in training camp and it just happened. And it's a shame. And it's a shame for the Colts who have had that revolving door ever since the Andrew Luck retirement. And now, hey, they supposedly have a lot of faith in Jacob Eason they may find out starting week one whether or not Jacob Eason can get it done, depending upon how it goes for Carson Wentz. And the Eagles are very interested in this as well because there are triggers in the trade that would bump the second round pick they get in 2022 from a two to a one if Wentz takes a certain number of snaps, 75%, I think it is. And if he misses some time because of this, the Colts will end up paying a lesser price next year on the back end of this Carson Wentz trade but uh here's hoping once he'll be ready to go week one although i guess titans and jaguars and texans and other afc team fans would be hoping to cross the colts off the list as a contender this year top heavy afc nine teams that are good enough to get to the super bowl in my estimation if things fall right but one of the things that can fall wrong injury we never know who where or when it's going to happen, but we just know generally the injuries will happen and they can affect a team's fortunes dramatically, especially at the all-important quarterback position. The all-important question in Buffalo. And this has been kind of percolating for a while now, really ever since the Pagulas bought the team. There was a comment made by co-owner Kim Pagula several years ago about how hard it will be to build a new stadium. This is when the plan was to try to continue to renovate the stadium they've been in for decades. Well, now the plan is to build a new stadium. And according to the Buffalo News, a story that was published on Sunday and created a huge backlash, the Pagulas reportedly want the new stadium to be funded exclusively by taxpayer money. An unprecedented ask. We don't know where the bottom line is. Surely the bottom line isn't 100%, but if it, if it is 100%, it's not like they could come in and ask for more than 100%. You always start high and then you work your way down. But if you're starting at 100 cents on the dollar in taxpayer money, chances are your bottom line is closer to 100 than zero. You're on the high side of 50% if you're starting at 100. And the, the reality is, and we've seen this when it comes to stadium politics, and 
the fan bases get irate very quickly when we have these conversations. One thing I want Bills fans to realize by having these conversations, by making it transparent and open now, that makes it harder for the billionaires to do their deals behind the scenes and no one sees it coming. There were a lot of people in St. Louis that were in denial about the possibility the Rams would move. And there were a lot of lies told by the Rams organization. When Stan Kroenke bought the land in Inglewood that would become the site of the current stadium there, lies were told by the team. Talking points were given by the team to the commissioner who knew that land was bought for the Rams to move there and downplayed it. The more pressure is placed when these issues pop up, the harder it is for them to pull it off. Because what they want to do, and I don't mean the Pagulas specifically, I'm just talking generally. When you have an owner that is thinking about moving a team or, or just using the possibility of a move as leverage, and then it takes on a life of its own, which I'm sure has happened at some point in the history of the NFL, it starts as a bluff. And then you realize, you know what? That bluff is, is, is a pretty good option from a business standpoint. Remember, football is business. Not football is family. They say football is family because it's good for business to say football is family. Football is business. And when you're in a market and you get a team and you want a stadium, you got to ask yourself, all right, how much money can I get from the taxpayers to build my stadium? How much can I get here? How much can I get elsewhere? How much more can I get elsewhere? In Oakland, it was a no-brainer. The Raiders could get none. They got a lot in Las Vegas, so they moved to Las Vegas. In St. Louis, it was different. They could have gotten plenty, but Stan Kroenke, as a business proposition, thought he would make more money owning his own stadium in Los Angeles, where you could have all sorts of other events. So, hey, if I'm going to pay for a stadium, I want the stadium to be in a place where I can use it year-round. And it can be a magnet for revenue for all sorts of things, concerts and Final Fours and this and that and WrestleMania and whatever. You build an open air stadium in Buffalo. How many months out of the year can you use it as a practical matter for other events? And the larger the market, the greater the pool of customers who will pay money for tickets to come to all these things. That's a big part of the business analysis. So for the Pagulas, I think for now, the question is this, because I don't think they're going to pay for a stadium. They're not going to pay full price for a stadium. The question is, will there be another city that offers them a better deal than whatever Buffalo will do? And to get the best possible deal out of Buffalo, they need to make people think, specifically the politicians in Buffalo, that there are other alternatives. Otherwise, there's no leverage. If the Pagulas come out now and say unequivocally, unconditionally, both privately and publicly, there is no way, no how we're moving out of Buffalo. Whatever the deal we get is the deal we get. If we need a stadium, we'll find a way to build the stadium. We'll take whatever taxpayer money we can get, even if it's none. If they do that, they're not going to get anything. Remember when Stephen Ross several years ago was trying to get public money in Miami to make the upgrades to his stadium so that it could get back in the Super Bowl rotation? He never played the maybe I'll move the team card. And you know what happened? He ended up paying 100 cents on the dollar for every renovation that was made. They had a ballot measure, it failed. They had other attempts, it failed. And there was never an or else. So it can't get awkward and clumsy and it can make people a lot uh, concerned about where things are going to go. But 
we need to understand it starts as a bluff. It starts as leverage, but if you don't keep on it, and if it isn't taken seriously, that bluff slash leverage can become a true alternate destination. There was a report yesterday from Seth Wickersham of ESPN that Austin is one of the cities to which the Pagulas were referring when making the point to the politicians in Western New York that there are plenty of other cities out there that would pay handsomely to have an NFL franchise. I don't think Austin is viable, especially because there was a report from the Austin American Statesman last night that multiple members of the city council had no idea this was even a thing. But the cat's now out of the bag. See, this is mission accomplished for the Pagulas because now everyone knows sea to shining sea and maybe beyond our borders that the bills are potentially in play. You solve their stadium issue, you make it cheaper for the Pagulas to go elsewhere than what it would cost them to stay in Buffalo, maybe they'll go. Now, I, I, there's probably a factor built into it. There's probably a hometown discount that would apply, especially because they also own the local NHL team. But at some point, money talks, money screams. And if you're looking at, let's say, 30% taxpayer funding in Buffalo, and there's another city that's willing to do 75% or more, Hard to say no to that. And ideally from the perspective of any owner, the people in the local market don't know and won't know that the team is leaving until the moment the league, the decision to leave becomes official. You don't want people to know that ahead of time. You definitely don't want the people in Buffalo to know that the bills are moving before the day comes to literally load up the Mayflower trucks like the Colts once did, once did and roll out of town. So. We're going to cover this story because you know, the Bills are one of the storied franchises of the NFL. They have a fan base that deserves to have a team that deserves to be a good team. And they're finally a good team again. They're finally putting something positive together. And now Bills fans have to worry until this is resolved. You have to worry. It needs to be on your radar screen of things you obsess about whether or not this will get worked out and whether or not the Bills will move. And the Pagolas are counting on that because they want the fans to start agitating their elected representatives to kick in whatever money it's gonna to take to keep the team there. And we've seen that in Minnesota. I remember the folks in Minnesota were very reluctant to make a significant financial contribution from taxpayer funding to build what became known as the People's Stadium. And it wasn't until, I believe it was Art Rooney who was on the stadium committee, may still be, went to Minnesota, met with the lawmakers and said, basically, hey folks, if you don't pay for a big part of this, the Vikings are leaving. That's what got their attention. And I think that's where the bills currently are, specifically the Pagulas. They're trying to get the attention of the legislators and the other politicians to make it clear that they need something significant or they will consider their options. And once you start considering options, this is true in any line of business, in any type of negotiation. If you put the person who is making the decision about the future in a situation where other options are considered, there's a chance that another option is going to emerge that maybe no one was even thinking about. And they'll say, hey, wow, how about that? How can I say no to that? That's how it happened with Las Vegas. Las Vegas wasn't one of the cities that was being seriously considered by the Raiders until all of a sudden Las Vegas drops this proposal that they can't refuse. So... 
It's something to watch. It's something to follow. I want the Bills to stay in Buffalo. And one of the ways to keep the Bills in Buffalo is to cover the story aggressively, not ignore it. If you ignore it, and all sorts of things can happen, and then one day, a few years from now, the news hits that the Bills are moving to wherever, not Buffalo. That's not good for anyone connected to the NFL. The Bills need to stay in Buffalo, and we're going to cover this story. And I'll admit the agenda. I'll admit the bias. I want the Bills to stay in Buffalo. We're going to cover the story from that perspective. And we're going to continue to keep you updated as the developments warrant. Okay. Interesting quote that I saw from Kyle Shanahan, the coach of the San Francisco 49ers, to Peter King, who is doing his training camp tour. As it relates to Jimmy Garoppolo and Garoppolo's ability to fend off Trey Lance, the third overall pick in the draft, for whom the 49ers ultimately gave up three first-round picks and a third-round pick to get because it's their 12th overall pick that they already had, two other first-round picks, and a third-round pick. All of that together is what they gave up to get Trey Lance. Shanahan thinks Garoppolo, if he plays the way he's capable of playing, can fend off Trey Lance, which of course invites the question of why the hell did you give up all that stuff for a quarterback who, if everything goes the way you want it to, is going to be on the bench. I still think the 49ers are reeling from the fact that they didn't do their homework on Patrick Mahomes and therefore passed on him in 2017 and said, no, thank you to Tom Brady, who wanted to come home to the 49ers last year. I think that caused something in the overall psyche of the 49ers to snap, and they got desperate, and they did something they shouldn't have done. I think that hindsight, if not currently, the 49ers would admit, we probably got a little freaked out there. We probably got a little carried away. We probably shouldn't have done what we did. We should have stood pat at 12 and maybe a quarterback drops to us. And if not, if not, we give Jimmy Garoppolo one more year and we make our decision on the future after this year. Cause I feel like they do want to give him one more year. I feel like they're smitten with what he can do if he's operating at a high level and if he stays healthy, but this line from Shanahan, it, it tells me that the 49ers concern about Garoppolo goes beyond his ability to stay healthy. I didn't think Garoppolo was necessarily there last year at training camp. That was Shanahan's line. And there means his highest level of performance. So there was some complacency that Kyle Shanahan noticed before the week two injury against the Jets that caused him to miss plenty of time. Then he missed more time after that. But even before then, Shanahan didn't think Garoppolo was where he needed to be. Garoppolo didn't handle success well. They got to the Super Bowl. They had a chance to win it. You would think Garoppolo would have been motivated by the fact that he missed Emmanuel Sanders with a championship on the line. But there was something last year about Garoppolo in training camp that caused Kyle Shanahan to think that, that something was missing. And if it happens again this year, that opens the door for Trey Lance. See, that's the caveat. Hey, if Garoppolo plays the way he's capable of playing, Trey Lance can't beat him out. But, but if Garoppolo performs like he did last year in training camp, I don't know. If I'm the 49ers, the best outcome is Trey Lance wins the job. For real. Not we're going to force Trey Lance into the number one spot because you got a locker room to be concerned about. And if they sense that the, the standard is, is unfair, that the playing field is tilted toward the rookie, they're not going to like that. Plenty of guys there really like Jimmy Garoppolo. But if Lance ends up being the better guy, go with Lance and get rid of Garoppolo. If you have to cut him, cut him. Can't find a trade partner. Hey, maybe you can get the Colts to bite 
But if you can't find a trade partner and he's due to make 25 million this year, just cut him. Offer him a reduced salary to be the backup. And if he won't take it, see you later. It's that simple. That, that's the best way to clear the decks and go forward with the guy that you had that much faith in. That's the basic logic for me. And sometimes these decisions that are made by teams aren't logical. When you give up that much, if you believe in a guy sufficiently to sacrifice the 12th overall pick in the draft and next year's first round pick and the next year's first round pick and a third round pick to get him, that suggests you believe in him. You don't want to stick him on the bench behind Jimmy Garoppolo and run the risk of Garoppolo, number one, responding to the challenge, number two, staying healthy, number three, taking you back to the Super Bowl or close to it. Oh, it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. Now, the only good problem is no problem, and that's not a good problem to have. When you've made that investment in Trey Lance and you've allowed the guy that he was supposed to bump off of a roster play, and if he plays well enough to take the team to where it's trying to go, and then you keep Trey Lance on the bench. That's not the outcome you're looking for when you give up that much to get your future quarterback. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Some vaccine news from over the weekend. And, and look, I, I'm convinced now that when it's time to cut the rosters from 90 to 53, if you're not vaccinated, you're definitely at risk. And of course, if you're at the bottom of the roster and you're not vaccinated, you're gone. And I know, I know the rule says that teams can't consider vaccination status when deciding whether or not to keep a guy on the roster. But my God, look at what Ron Rivera, the coach of the Washington football team, said over the weekend. He's at his wits end. He's compromised because he had cancer and he can't convince his guys to get the vaccine out of consideration to him, their boss. I mean, this is a sport where for every other thing that ever comes up, whatever the coach says goes, coach gets what he wants. Now, Mike Tomlin has been able to do it in Pittsburgh and other coaches have done it, but some coaches are just coming up against that brick wall. It shows you how strongly people feel about not getting the vaccine, where even when their coach wants them to do it, they still won't do it. Minnesota, Mike Zimmer at his wits end with everyone who won't get vaccinated, but also with his own players. They had three quarterbacks out for a scrimmage on Saturday night because Kirk Cousins won't get vaccinated. Now, Kellen Mond tested positive. I don't know if he's vaccinated or not, but Cousins clearly isn't vaccinated. He got bumped as a close contact. If you're vaccinated, you don't get bumped as a close contact. And then Jake Browning also 
was, it was either Nate, no, no, Jake Browning was the only one who was healthy. Nate Stanley also was bumped. And if, if you're third on the depth chart and you're not vaccinated, are you kidding me? You're asking to get cut. The question for me is how high up, you know, to, to the extent that a team, and, and this isn't realistic to list your guys one to 53 because it's driven by position. But however a team does it, if they do one to 53 and they have each position depth chart, how high up the ladder will the team go in saying, hey, this guy's good, but sorry. Cole Beasley, good slot receiver, but sorry, can't have you, can't do it. We need a guy in that spot who's vaccinated. We want as many guys as possible to be vaccinated. Who's truly untouchable? A general manager told me recently, eight guys on his team, no way, no how will ever get vaccinated. Seven of them, untouchable. Maybe after training camp in the preseason, some of those guys aren't untouchable because typically they're going to be guys who are making good money. And this is a year where the cap is $25 million lower than what it would have been because of the pandemic. Maybe if you have faith in that fifth-round draft pick, that undrafted free agent who's been quietly developing, who's vaccinated, and is doing everything the coaching staff wants. I mean, that, look, jobs on football teams are one based on merit, but they're also one in the close questions by who sucks up, who does what the coach wants, who's part of the program, who is pulling an oar in the direction that the boat is going and not fighting the current, not fighting the, the flow, whatever the right word is. I don't know very much about nautical terms, but who is going against what we're trying to do? You better be damn good if you're going to go against what the team is trying to do. And hey, look, I get a personal decision. Look, I, I understand that there may be some people who have done the proper research, not relying upon Facebook al algorithms, but talking to their doctor, a doctor who isn't anti-vax, and there are plenty of them out there for whatever reason, but somebody who gives a objective, fair assessment of the medicine, makes a recommendation, if that person truly and genuinely believes that the vaccine is not for them, what, what can you really say? But if you've got people who are just grabbing at whatever they find that makes them feel good about their position, whatever quote, whatever blurb, whatever thing that comes to them in their email or they see on social media that just supports their decision to be selfish and stupid, I got a problem with that. And when you look at the money that the Vikings have invested in Kirk Cousins and the way Zimmer put it is perfect. You've got to be available to your team. Not being vaccinated increases the risk that you're not going to be available. And when Kirk Cousins is making what he's making, he better have a damn good reason for not being vaccinated. It better, see, he won't talk about it. They don't want to talk about it because they don't want to be scrutinized. Well, why do you think you shouldn't get vaccinated? And then he starts quoting Alex Jones or some crap like that. I mean, they don't want to talk about it because they don't want to be called out on it by the people who say, I don't think you're, you're being fair to the science. And I don't think folks who are being unfair to the science are being fair to the people who are paying them millions of dollars. And some of them make so much that there ain't a damn thing the team can do about it. But do you really think, do you really think that the Vikings are going to forget this when we get to 2022 and it's time to make a decision about Kirk Cousins? Now he's got 35 million fully guaranteed next year, but maybe they unload him. Maybe they trade him. I know he's got a no trade clause, but you find a team that he wants to play for, you know, if it sours in Minnesota, this could be the moment where it finally snaps and the Vikings say enough, all the money we paid to this guy and you're kidding me, he won't get vaccinated. Could be the tipping point. And if Kellen Mond is vaccinated, 
And if Kellen Mond otherwise checks the bus, because again, you can still test positive while being vaccinated, but if he's vaccinated and he's doing all the things that coaching staff wants, you know, even if the Vikings can't unload Kirk Cousins, I think at some point in 2022, when he, when he gets back to that point where he, he, he reaches the limit of his ability, that inability to extend the play, the walls cave in and he just kind of collapses or he takes a couple of steps and gets swallowed up or throws the ball away. If Mond can make the second play when the first play isn't working and Cousins gets to the point where it's clear that he can't, that may be when we see Mond. But, but I'm telling you, there, there will be hard feelings between organizations and players who currently are untouchable. The moment they're not untouchable, they will be gone. Any guy out there who thinks he's making too much money, that the salary cap hit would be too big, that he's too good to be cut now, the moment the question is close, you are going to get whacked. Just accept it. Just accept it. Because your coaches are pissed off because they want their guys to be available. And the easiest way to be available in this climate is to get vaccinated. Last point, speaking of coaches, and the Raiders have done a great job of getting their players vaccinated. Kudos to them. Peter King was recently at Raiders training camp, and he made the observation in Football Morning in America that John Gruden, 19 and 29 in his first three seasons on the job, is not on the hot seat. He does not face a win-now mandate from owner Mark Davis. And we've been saying this. I started saying this late in the 2020 season. How could a guy who is 0 for 3 in getting to the playoffs, who came in with so much hype and promise, how can he not even be mentioned as possibly being on the hot seat now or potentially being on the hot seat next year? Any other coach would be on the short list of guys who are facing real problems if they don't win this year and fail to get to the playoffs. But Gruden gets a pass. Gruden gets a pass because Mark Davis views him as a buddy. And this is one of the realities and not getting too close to the people about whom you have to make decisions. It's one of the reasons why Bill Belichick has a wall with all of his players. When you start hiring your friends, when you start befriending your employees, that makes it harder to do what needs to be done in the best interest of the team. Now, it may well be that Mark Davis doesn't really care about competing for playoff spots or championships. And, and really, you're going to be the biggest attraction in Las Vegas. You're going to make a ton of money once the stadium is actually able to host, you know, humans in it. People are going to be flying in. You're going to have all sorts of revenue streams. Doesn't matter if the team's not very good. Doesn't matter. And the team hasn't been very good for the last generation. Still making money. So... I don't know what Mark Davis's objective really is. Maybe he just likes having John Gruden as the head coach because of who Gruden is. He's entertaining and he is entertaining and he did a great job making things seem better than they are for the Raiders and talking to Peter King. My point is this, no other coach would get that consideration. And you got to wonder at what point does Mark Davis become smitten with someone else? At what point is there enough money in the coffers where Davis can go out and throw more than 10 million per year at a replacement? Who's that guy that Mark Davis is going to say, man, if I just get him, number one, we're going to be competitive. And number two, we continue to be a huge attraction because we have a big name coach. We have a guy that people want to come see. And, you know, I, I, I'm reminded of Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Because this is the other extreme of how it is with Tomlin. Because Steelers fans, 
anytime the team faces any adversity, they want to get rid of Tomlin. If Tomlin were to be fired, he would immediately, immediately be hired by another team. There would be teams that would fire coaches they were otherwise not going to fire if they thought they could get Mike Tomlin. Flip it around. If John Gruden were fired after this season, who's hiring him? Who's at the front of the line immediately to say, I must have John Gruden? Well, I mean, let's, let's be fair about it. Anyone? Is there anyone out there that would say, oh, John Gruden's available. I got to go get him. I don't think so. Now, maybe some networks would be, but not any other team. So I, that just underscores my point. Any other coach, given what Gruden has done the last three years, would at least be on the hot seat this year. And Gruden, according to Peter King, who was in camp talking to people, says there is no win now mandate for John Gruden in 2021. All right, question time before we wrap this up. John Wilkin at SARS Monster. Is Carson Wentz ever going to be a starter again? Health as being a skill, it almost seems like he is running out of chances with all the young skilled quarterbacks coming into the league. I mean, time's running out. And I don't view him as a guy who is chronically injury prone. He has had injuries. He plays a style of football that opens him up to injuries, but he's been healthy the last two years. This is just kind of a fluke thing. But the problem is, fluke, fluke, fluke. At certain points, you look at it and say, there's something more going on here. So I, I don't know that Indy's his last chance, but boy, if he misses a big chunk of the season and when he comes back, he isn't like he was before 2020, you got to wonder where he's going to be come 2021. But when you consider what the Colts gave, or 22, excuse me, when you consider what the Colts gave up to get him, maybe they, maybe they give him another year. Jaleep Rao at Leapers 500. Does Denver still stand as the leading candidate to land Aaron Rodgers if he's wanting out after 2021? I think he is going to want out after 2021. The question is whether or not the Packers let him go. I think right now the favorite to get Aaron Rodgers next year is to be determined. If Rodgers was going to be traded this year, it would clearly be the Broncos. What happens is we've got a full football season, 17 regular season games, postseason after that. There will be seven, eight, nine, 10 teams when we get to January slash February, who are saying, time to move on from the guy we have at quarterback. Let's go kick the tires on possibly getting Aaron Rodgers. And oh, look, the Steelers, why would the Steelers not be interested if Ben Roethlisberger moves on? Why would Aaron Rodgers not be interested in the Steelers? I know he wants to go West Coast, but it's the Steelers. Think about Aaron Rodgers with the Steelers. What about the Rams, if Matthew Stafford ends up not living up to the very high bar that they've set for the Rams this year? What if it all looks good at training camp and it sounds good, but at the end of the day, the Rams can't win enough games to get to the playoffs? Remember, it was the Rams that called about Aaron Rodgers. They were the first team linked to Rodgers this offseason. They called about Rodgers before they called about Stafford. So it just depends on how the season goes. But surely there will be teams interested in Aaron Rodgers after the season. The Broncos very well could be one of them. But the Broncos will have more competition for him in early 2022 than they would have had now. Which is one of the reasons why I said the Packers should hold firm. Don't trade him now. You'll get more for him after this season because there will be more teams competing with each other and driving that price higher and higher. All right, what else do we have here? 
Leapers 500, another question. To what degree are Cole Beasley and other miscreants fracturing team morale with Peter King discussing in his FMIA column, the example of Beasley and Jerry Hughes now a teaching moment, it would seem he's burning the place down. How long do the Bills want to keep that up? What, what's being referred to there is the back and forth on Twitter between Cole Beasley and Jerry Hughes about the vaccine. They, 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 they went at it two or three times. Peter said another team, and presumably one of the teams he's visited, has used that as an opportunity to show it to the players and to say to them, don't do this. I really think Cole Beasley's in jeopardy of being cut. And I think with each passing day, it becomes closer and closer to reality. The question is, if he gets cut, will he be shunned by other teams? Will these guys, starting with Beasley, become essentially the Colin Kaepernick's of a very different issue? And I'm not saying that they're morally equivalent at all, but guys who not just fail to do what the NFL wants, but actively try to get others to understand that they should do it too. Those guys, uh, those guys are going to have a hard time potentially finding employment, even if they think they're still good enough to play. Buffalo guy 83 asks, do you believe the Pagulas could realistically move the bills without selling the Sabres? The Sabres have not been good since the Pagulas took over and are a PR mess, especially with the way ownership is handling the Jake Jack Eichel injury situation. You know, one of the arguments that I had heard before Sunday was that there's no way the Pagulas can move the bills because they own the Sabres. Yeah, could you sell the Sabres? All due respect, hockey team is small potatoes compared to NFL team. If you're talking about getting the kind of stadium deal that you want that minimizes your financial outlay and entails a move to a new city, you'll find somebody to buy the Sabres and you just go. They, oh, the, the Pagulas won't leave Buffalo. Well, Stan Kroenke's from Missouri and he left. Money doesn't just talk, money screams. And yeah, if they decide their best deal is elsewhere, owning the Sabres is not going to keep them, in my opinion, from moving the team. If it comes to that, and as I've said earlier, here's hoping that it won't. All right, let's see. What else do we have here? Question from Rob Buffalo. Will there be an NFL coaches union, alliance for assistant coaches, quality assurance people, et cetera? Has there been one attempted? Just curious. There's no union for coaches. And I think one of the reasons there's no union for, union for coaches is coaches understand that they are much more easily replaced than players. And if there were some sort of an effort to try to unionize coaches, there would be a major backlash from ownership. And there are plenty of other guys out there who can come in and do these jobs. And I think that's been one of the fears that folks have. If you are the guy leading the charge, you potentially end up sacrificing your career. It's one of the reasons why there hasn't been, for example, a racial discrimination lawsuit against the NFL. You gotta be ready to surrender your career if you're gonna take on the NFL on something like that, because you become a pariah. And it's very easy to justify hiring a different coach than the one that, that you don't wanna have anything to do with because he's had the audacity to sue you. And plenty of people think that's fine to retaliate against people who exercise legal rights. It's not fine. And it can create a separate avenue for potential litigation. But at the end of the day, one of the things I learned when I was practicing law and representing people who lost their jobs, it's always better to have a job than to have a lawsuit. And I think that's one of the reasons why 
coaches who should be unionized and who would benefit from the protection of a union aren't, and I suspect never will be. All right, let's see what else we have here. At Defense On, which other teams have stadium issues like the Bills? Well, the one that stands out is the Carolina Panthers. And David Tepper, the owner of the team, has already said he envisions a scenario where a new stadium in Carolina is roughly funded one-third by taxpayer money, one-third by PSLs, one-third by him. And the message is, if I don't get that and someone else will give it to me, I got to at least consider it. And it could start as leverage. It could start as just bluster and bluffing, but it can end up being something more than that. So any owner that believes a new stadium is in order, that has a certain amount of public money that he or she wants for that new stadium, if they can't get it, that's when the door opens for other cities to make an offer. If only to get a better offer in the current city. But eventually, someone's going to make an offer potentially that you can't refuse, like Vegas did to get the Raiders. So the Panthers are the first team that comes to mind. Now, elsewhere, I'd have to sit down and look at who's up for a new stadium, who's trying to agitate for a new stadium. But that's the key ingredient. New stadium, not just renovation, new stadium. Who's trying to get a new stadium? How much taxpayer money does the owner want? And how strong is the resistance in that locality to make taxpayer money available? If the resistance is strong, that's when the door swings open to seeing what else is out there, whether it's St. Louis. Although, see, on one hand, St. Louis is probably, for the reasons I discussed just a couple of minutes ago, persona non grata when it comes to getting a team because it's made a major legal filing against the NFL and it's creating a major distraction for the league. But if you could do some sort of a resolution lawsuit that would line up St. Louis for a team, it becomes a viable destination. San Diego, with private money to fund the stadium, becomes a destination. I don't think Austin is. I don't think San Antonio is. I don't think the Cowboys and the Texans would ever allow it. London. London. Two teams in London someday. I don't know when, but there are plenty of other options out there. And owners that can't get the stadium they want for the price they want to pay in their current markets, will get very creative in identifying those other options in some of those other cities, just like Springfield and its monorail. So I, that one just came out of the blue. Some of those other cities are going to feel like they're legitimized by paying whatever they have to pay to become an NFL city. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with another hiatus edition of PFT Live and PFTPM. We're coming back soon. Hang on. But until then, check us out here every weekday and around the clock every day of the year at profootballtalk.com. Have a great Monday. Talk to you tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.